Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of Fourth and Goal, the new Sacramento State football podcast on StateHornet.com. I am your podcast editor, Matt Gervin III. I was the beat writer for the football team back in 2019, and I'm joined by the current beat writer for the football team. This is me, Brandon Bailey, the current beat writer for the football team, man. Yeah, we're here, you know, just to give you the latest on Sac State football, you know, a preview of what to look forward to for the next week, and you know, just keep you guys up to date and, you know. Yep. Speaking of up to date, I guess we should talk about this most recent game. What a win it was for Sac State walking into Montana and beating the number five ranked FCS team in the country, Montana, 28 to 21. First time we've ever, ever in history went to Montana and won. And it's only the fourth time, period, and first time there that we've won. I mean, a win like that speaks for itself, especially when, you know, you're on the road on the campaign for like another Big Sky title. I think like a win like that boost can only boost your confidence, you know. Mm-hmm. And I know you and I have been talking about like what Sac State needs to do in order not only to just repeat as Big Sky champions, but just make the playoffs. Cause, you know, it's, it's it's a stacked field. We were just looking at the teams in the Big Sky. There's a lot of competition here. And even though Sac State might not play a lot of them this year. There's still teams that are going to have to go through it in order to fight for that playoff seeding. Yeah, I mean, you got teams like Davis at the end of the season. And shoot, even next week's game against Northern Arizona, I think that's going to be a tough one. I mean, if you look at their record, they're 3-3. Three and three, But, like, so they had three losses in the first four weeks. But the difference in those losses now, they have a freshman starting at quarterback. R.J. Martinez got his first start over Jeff Widener in the game against Arizona. And since then, they've been 2-1. and one. It, it speaks to the talent that they have and how much trust they have in their young players because they have right now three freshmen leading in all offensive categories and rushing, passing, and receiving. Three of them are freshmen. And, you know, I think going into this week, like I said, if you look at the record, it looks like it, it should be an easy win, especially after Sac State is coming off a win against the number five ranked Montana. But it's the big sky. And, you know, any everything's competition. But I think this one is probably going to be their next best competition until they get to Davis towards the end of the season. And, of course, I remember how good Northern Arizona is at passing the ball because I remember watching Case Cookers do it against us in 2019. Yeah. That boy could throw the ball, man. <laughs> yeah. I, only advantage I would give us over – well, I think it's a lot of advantages you really could take over if you're Sac State. But re- the one that really stands out to me is how good our secondary has been playing the last few games. I mean, every week, I believe, since Northern Iowa – They've had an, at least one interception. And on top of that, I think that all comes from, like, the experience they have in the secondary. I mean, from senior Munchie Filey, the transfer from Montana State, Prince Washington, even though he hasn't played in the last two weeks due to injury. And then you got guys like Marte Mapu and Marcus Hawkins at linebacker. You know, they're all making plays. So I think the experience that we have is going to be an advantage this week. But don't I would just say don't sleep on Northern Arizona. I think that's going to be a, that's going to be a very tough matchup for us. Uh, yeah, you can't sleep on any team, especially in playing this big sky schedule. Any yeah. team can pull off a win at any given day. Right. I know we talked a little bit last week, just you and I, about the running game. Mm-hmm. You know, now that Elijah Dotson is away from the team, and you can actually hear a little bit of what we said right now. Elijah Dotson, who recently I was just told just forego the rest of the season. So, 
Yeah, that's crazy that find that out, especially in the post-game press conference. How do you think that's going to hurt them going forward? Because I know Elijah was a big part of the team. I hope whatever he has going on, I hope it gets resolved. And, you know, I wish him the best. Yeah, I mean, going forward, I think they have a lot of great depth. Like, you know, with BJ and Fulcher back there, and even got some young guys that I think if they got in there, they'll be able to do their thing. But with, with Dotson, I think they lose a lot where – you know, in the passing game too. Like he was a good runner, but like he was also good when it came to like you could spread him out, you know, put him in like an empty set and he could play as a wide receiver. In the trenches, you know, he could run the ball pretty well and he's he's one of those guys that could just break away at any point in the game. So, I mean, I think anytime you lose a pair like that, it's, it's detrimental. But just based off of the last game, I think they'll be in pretty good hands running-wise if they could just keep, you know, keep doing what they're supposed to in, in the trenches in the whole line because – you know, BJ, he's really elusive. Fulcher, he's like, he's a powerful back, but he has the ability to move. So, you know, I think they'll be all right in the depth. But it's like I said, it's always hurtful when you lose somebody like Dodson, you know? So, again, it seems like Asher O'Hara is leading the team in rushing, going yeah. back to the to the game in Missoula on Saturday. 17 rushing attempts for Asher O'Hara, 72 yards. And he only threw the ball nine times in the game. Dunaway had 29 passes. But... Do you think this is a case of Sac State, you know, finding out what they have with their two quarterbacks, letting one control the passing game, letting one control the running game? Well, yeah. I Honestly, I think they've came to the point where, you know, Dunway is like the solidified passer on the team. But what makes them so tricky is, you know, although Asher might be the one carrying the load and running the ball the most, he passed it nine times throughout the game. So as a defense, you kind of have to stay on your toes. You know what I mean? So... I think the dynamic they have between the two, it works out well because it's keeping defenses on their heels, and it's like you never know what they're going to do. Another thing I noticed, and again, this is something we talked about last week, was the strength of their receiving core, and you can hear a little bit of that conversation that we had right here. What do you think's their biggest strength? Oh, man, the the firepower they have as, as a receiving core. I mean, when you break it down, it's like kind of crazy to think about how many weapons they got. They got Pierre Williams who had – 100 yards for three weeks consecutively. And then you got a guy like Marshall Martin who's, like, his talent speaks for himself. I mean, like, he, he plays – he's a tight end, but he plays like he's a wide receiver. You know, mm-hmm. like, you can spread him out. And you can trust those two guys to really make plays. So, I think, you know, having a wide receiving core like that, when you go against these teams in the big sky, it's kind of hard because, like, you know, you game plan on one person, but then you got two other guys that can tear you up and down the field as well. So, I would say, like – and the chemistry they have as a receiving core and, and, and as quarterbacks. Like Jake Dunaway and, and Pierre Williams, you can see they – I don't know if they're, like, training, like, after practice every day or beforehand, but, like, it's like they're on the same page every time they, they drop back for a pass, and it shows every week. I mean, you got a guy that's going over 100 yards consecutively and in the top three of, you know, wide receivers in the big sky, yardage-wise, you can't really deny that, you know, so – I think that really shapes them as a team and that 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 core that they have as a wide receiving core and that, as a quarterback group, I think those are, would be their biggest strengths. Yeah, it was crazy the amount of returners they had from that 2019 squad. I look at the look at looking at the uh, receiving totals for this semester and I recognize almost every name on this list. I right. think 
But there's only a couple people on here that I don't remember from yeah. 2019. But Pierre Williams was killing it back then. So was Marshall Martin. Parker Clayton, he might not have many catches, but when he does, they're always like spectacular. Yeah. It's... They're like sports center worthy plays. Like <laughs> it's crazy. Like I said, I think their core, like you said, they've all played together so well that it's like, you know, it's only inevitable that you're going to grow in those two years especially when you have a year where you guys literally can't do anything but grow together with the COVID season like we forget like they didn't even play for a whole season so I can only imagine that connection only getting stronger to where when it's in the game it's like practice like it's like pitch and catch like you run a route and I'm gonna throw it up and we're gonna come down with it because we already on the same page mentally you know and again, coming back to the game against Montana, you see they had catches spread out all over their receiving core. Obviously, Pierre Williams led the way with six catches and 97 yards, and the two touchdowns came from Jared Gibson. They had 10 different players catch passes at that point in the game. So that just I think that just speaks to the strength of the receiving core that they have. And three of those people that caught, pat, that caught passing touchdowns were freshmen. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that, that speaks to itself. But what I think really... Same, similar to what I was talking about, how the secondary is close-knit because of, you know, it's mostly guys from 2019. It's the same thing with the receiving core. You got Pierre Williams, Parker Clayton, Marshall Martin, Isaiah Gable. All of those are returners. So I think, especially with the connection they have at QB, it's kind of like clockwork with those guys because it's like they already have that relationship. But I just, we just got to set the record straight right here. I don't know if we have a wide receiving award for FCS players, but... Pierre Williams is the clear favorite. I mean, every game, he's wide open in the middle of the field, and it's kind of, like, mind-boggling. Like, to me, it's like, are the defenses even, like, trying to guard this dude? Like, what's going on? But I think that just speaks to how talented Pierre is. I mean, anytime you have a player like that that you can rely on on any down, any time of the game, that's a plus. And I think it opens up the field for the rest of the wide receivers. Unfortunately, I think, Pierre is going to have to settle for competing for the Walter Payton Award. I don't see an award for top wide receiver in the FCS. There should be, though. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, Pierre, if you're hearing this, you, you got that award. In my in my book, you got it. <laughs> He's definitely one of the impact players on this team. But walk me through a little bit of the fourth quarter, because that must have been this. I was watching the game, and I know that was a stressful time, especially for you as the beat writer, you know, you have to change your story all quick in case something scored. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let me tell you, man, the fourth quarter was crazy because, like, it looked like Sac State were kind of just about to seal the game as the fourth quarter was beginning. Montana was just – they just had, like, they were just about to punt the ball. And um, on that punt, they punted it to Marcus Fulcher, who he had a pretty pretty good game to that game, um, similar to last week. But – he had muffed a punt, and um, it was literally like inside Mon- our red zone. Would that be our red zone or Montana's red zone? Uh, inside our 20, or how would I pronounce that? So it was a punt. He would have caught it inside our 20. So inside our own 20-yard line. Okay. So, yeah, he muffed a punt inside our own 20-yard line. You know, at that point, it's like it was 28-21. to 21. Montana had the chance to get back in the game, but the following play, Marcus Hawkins came in and intercepted it, like, out of nowhere. So it's like at that point, you're like, okay, we got the game in the bag. The best thing that Sac State did was they were milking the clock. It was the first time I seen us, like, running the ball consistently, just keeping the time of possession in our hands, and I think it worked in our favor. But right, even then, right, we get down to the wire, 
and it's about two minutes left. It was fourth and one, and Jake Dunaway tried to sneak it in, and they stopped us. And it's like, all right, Sac State, we got we got to we got to make another stop. This was the probably the the best game I've seen them close. Like, you had the defense playing great the whole game, but what really made the difference was like the defensive line effort. Um, Josiah Erickson had a sack, and then to seal the game, Killian Roscoe, who just came back last week, came back and got a sack as well. And I think it just spoke to, like, the experience that this team has is closing the game. Because a lot of the times, you know, we see these big sky teams or any team in general, and it's like we you could play a complete game, but when it comes down to the fourth quarter, I mean, you know it best, you Seattle fan. <laughs> you got you to gotta be able to close. I, I can speak from experience. Back to what we was talking about last week. I'm a Raider fan. You know, we, we can't close a game to save our lives, but – I think that was the difference between Sac State and Montana. I think they really executed at the end very well. Even when it got sloppy, they never hung their head low, and you know they always they just kept it going. They kept going forward, you know. Yeah, you were telling me last week after the game against Southern Utah, you said that was the first time you had seen them put together a complete game, mm-hmm. and for them to immediately follow that up, knocking off the number five team in the country. I think. This feels like their statement of intent win this year. Yeah, because I think they, like I said, I think that that win where they put together that complete game, I think that built their confidence. Like, they already had the confidence there. I think Coach Taylor does a good job of, like, you know, keeping his team motivated. But a win like that against the number five ranked school on the road somewhere you've never won before, like ever in school history, (laughs) like Dunaway said at the end of the game, I mean, they feel like their offense could move, they could move the ball against anybody. And, I mean, so far, they've shown it. Even in the games they lost, except for probably Northern Iowa, where it was just an overall sloppy game. You've seen against Cal, we we put up 30. So, you know what I mean? So, I think if they just keep building off this momentum going forward, it's really going to come down to what their how their defense holds up against other offenses. Because their, their offense, I don't think they're going to have a problem against any of these big sky teams. Like, passing the ball, Jake's been doing exceptional. And... When you got Asher just hurtling over every defender in, in his way <laughs> for the last three weeks, I mean, what what can you do to stop it, you know? <laughs> yeah, we were talking about how helpless defenders must feel <laughs> when they see Asher O'Hara jumping over them, flying through the air. <laughs> I mean, imagine that. Imagine just trying to tackle somebody. you like, oh, I got him. And then he just, he just slowly just soars over your head, and you're just looking up like, oh. <laughs> All right, touchdown. Well, wasn't that nothing I could do? That's one of those plays where you just look at the coach and you just throw your hands up. <laughs> what, what, what do you want me to do, coach? You know? uh, so looking at the rest of the schedule, we only got five games left of the season. Obviously, this week's game is homecoming against Northern Arizona. And you have already said, you know, don't sleep on them. And looking at the rest of the schedule after Northern Arizona, it's away at Northern Colorado, home to Cal Poly, home to Portland State. And then it's the Causeway Classic to close out the regular season. So right now they're three and zero. They're undefeated in the Big Sky. So right now they're looking to repeat as champions. And do you think that's something that they can do realistically this year? Yeah, I think honestly I could see it only because last year they've had like a way tougher schedule in my opinion. You had you played against the Weavers, the Eastern Washingtons, all teams that they don't even have to think about right now. They don't even have to think about those teams, you know. But I don't think it's going to be a walk in the park. Like we said before, any Big Sky game could go any way. But going forward, I think if they could just win this next week and then 
get to Davis, and we'll see what happens there. But if they could get to Davis undefeated and, and Big Sky play, I think they have a great chance at winning another Big Sky title because I don't really see any team on there that really can beat them except the UC Davis and, like I said, the Northern Arizonas because they're, you know, it's a sleeper team. But those other teams, I feel like they can – they're going to be able to move the ball easily and defend too. Like it's going to be, I see blowouts in yeah. the next, <laughs> at least in three of the next five games. You heard it here blowouts in three of the next five games. So if that doesn't happen, make sure to tweet at Brandon Bailey. Why isn't this happening? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that UC Davis game is going to really, that's going to be their defining moment of the season, really. And it's going to, determine where they end up in the playoffs or even if they make it at all or who knows maybe they lose the next three weeks and this whole conversation is rendered irrelevant but (laughs) until then we're here to give you the synopsis on how we see it i'd be worried about going up against that eastern washington quarterback i mean to throw the ball less than 40 times and come up with 600 yards and seven touchdowns seven touchdowns mac that's not one not two not three not four seven Just through the air, and then he had one on the ground, too. That's eight touchdowns by one player. I don't even think we've had 600 total yards (laughs) in one game. So let's just be grateful we don't got to see them, at least right now. You know, if we get to the playoffs and we see them, then we're going to, you know, we're going to have to see what's up with them. And I, you know, but as of right now, me personally, I'm glad we don't see them. All right, and speaking of right now, I think that's going to be the right time to end this first episode of Fourth and Goal. I want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening to all the stories and podcasts on StateHornet.com. Brandon, if the people want to find you and your football recaps and your live tweets, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at BrandonBailey underscore B and on the gram, Instagram, if you didn't know, at DoItForB underscore. That's right, and you can always find me on Twitter and Instagram at MacIrvin7, and we'll have links to both of those in the show notes below. So thank you for tuning into this episode, and we'll see you next Tuesday for the next episode of Fourth and Gold. Yeah!